Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience afield, and our members' stories. Welcome to another episode of Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. I am your host for this episode. My name is Paul Campbell. On this episode, I'm talking with Doug Little, District Biologist for the NWTF, and Derek Alkire, Southeastern Regional Biologist for the NWTF. We're talking all things Habitat for the Hatch, the new 18th state initiative of the National Wild Turkey Federation what it is, why it's important, and what you can expect from this initiative. All that and more in 90 seconds. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. I, I saw Ohio and selfishly I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. Um, it just like nicked, nicked up like the very like Southwestern corner of the state. And and Doug, you might appreciate this, Derek, you'll probably get chuckle, but with like, with my role, I travel all over the country. I mean, you know, I could be in new England. I could be on the Tennessee, Mississippi border the very next week. And Derek, you've heard me use this line. I always say that my accent works better North of the Mason Dixon line. So I'm glad to see a Southeast initiative go a little North of the proverbial Mason Dixon line. That made me, that made me, that made me happy. What, when, 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 when you guys were like, obviously like we've identified a problem at some point, right? Turkey decline, habitat issues. Um, when you were like working through, um, you know, this initiative, how, how did you determine that like the 18 States that are in this initiative? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's a great question, Paul. I think, um, and certainly Derek, add, add in, um, you know, we, we sat down, like some of the early conversations were about, you know, geography, and we spent a good bit of time. I mean, we, we, we spent, our team spent over a year putting this together, right? And um, talked about geography, talked about the on-the-ground, you know, habitat and needs was the primary focus. And then, you know, what what would make the most sense? 
And we bounced around a lot. And that was a great thing about the team is a lot of candid conversations. You know, not everybody agreed which you want in a team. Um, not everybody agreed all the time. And but ultimately, when, when we talked through everything, we all agreed at the, the end point for where we landed. Um, and it just made the most sense to have the boundaries be both the Mid-South Rebirth and Southern Piney Woods, big six regions. Um, when you think about, you know, when those were developed, um, from an overall landscape habit perspective, um, it it made sense to create those geographies for a reason, right? And and so when you look at the declines in where they're centered, it, you know, thinking about the southeast um, in particular, because there are certainly declines in, in the northeast that folks are concerned about in, in other areas of the Midwest and in other regions of the country. Uh, but it just made the most sense to take those big six um, regions. And, and use those as as the basis um, for the initiative, and um, you know for for a lot of reasons. I mean, not not just because of of um, you know simplistically, right? I mean, it's, it's just easy. we have these we have these landscapes already established. It's it's, e it's easy, but it's not just that it's easy. It just it made sense um, based on the states that are experiencing decline, the consistent habitat and priorities that are needed there for wild turkeys nesting and brood habitat. Uh, it, it just ultimately that's where the team landed um, for a lot of for a lot of reasons. Derek, would you would you add to that or? No, I think that's great reasoning. And you, when you think about um, talking about the initiative, you know that keeping it at that big six level keeps consistency with hopefully what folks are already familiar with, um, which hopefully will allow them to you know, associate this with, with the NWTF, you know, already building off of something that, that is already in place, which I think is great. And when you look at those landscapes, um, you know, it's called a Southeastern initiative, but when you get up into Ohio where you are, or, you know, portions of these other States, Texas and Oklahoma, and, you know, I'm not going to name them all, but when you think about the management practices that will be implemented to achieve the desired results, they're very similar um, to the Southeast Mississippi or Alabama. When you think about the Northern part of state, the state where it's more hardwood and those type of things, you know, what you're doing there in those three counties in Ohio that you spoke about thinning and burning is, is kind of what you're going to be doing in a lot of those cases. So um, not only was it easier from a, you know, a, a marketing and identifiable perspective. But when you think about the habitat work that you do on the ground, they're very similar. Yeah. You both have mentioned this, this phrase uh, a couple of times already and it's, it's landscape level. And so when we talk about like landscape level impact, I have this conversation a lot with people is if, if they don't, if, if, if someone doesn't see something out their back door, like, like literally like, the WMA that I hunt or, you know, the land that, that borders mine, if, if someone doesn't see conservation work going on, doesn't see uh, partnership work with the NWTF or state agency doesn't go, go on, it doesn't mean that work in your area isn't going on. So talk about like landscape level impact that, that this organization has, like what, what is landscape level? Yeah. Great, great question, Paul. Um, and you know, again, Derek, please add, I, I just, you know, I would, I would look at it, you know, from, from just a big picture 
perspective of you know just having a having a larger impact than just you know hey that that like five acre opening and, and putting lion fertilizer on, on, a, on a wildlife opening in, in somebody's backyard or in wildlife management area or state forest you know near somebody's backyard right it's working with our partners you know Derek mentioned earlier um, working with our partners whether it's a, you know federal agency or state agency um, our net our you know, not other nonprofit partners that we, we collaborate with, um, you know, and how do we pool our resources, our money to do something, you know, bigger than we would do if we did our, our work in a vacuum by ourselves? Um, you know, how do we, how do we stretch, um, instead of, instead of just looking at, you know, that one back 40 section of a wildlife management area, how do we expand, you know the money we were to do that work with, and our time and other resources we were gonna, we were going to use to do that work, in a way where we can take all of that and and build upon it with the other partners to where we're impacting, you know, multiple wildlife management areas or you know expanding across an entire ranger district of a national forest, um, not touching every single acre with that, but strategically doing work in areas across that your landscape, if you will. So that you know we're we're putting more habitat on the ground in the right places in the right way at the right time, and um, you know just have just a bigger impact, pop, more more of a population level impact than than that small isolated flock level impact, if you will, that you might have you know, by by putting lime fertilizer seed on a four acre opening in the back forty. Is that yeah. is that fair, Derek? You want to add to that? Yeah, I I will kind of build off of the the population comment. Um, and when we think about landscape level, I'll say that, you know, I wouldn't think of landscape as X number of acres or those type of things, because a landscape may look a little bit different uh, in the Southeast than it does in the West. You know, I think about Arizona or something like that with the Sky Islands. Like it's very, you know, the, the turkey habitat is there and you come down into the desert, it's just not habitat. So when you think about landscape, I, w- I wouldn't think about an acreage per se, but the population level, I think that Doug hit on is, is real key when we think about managing wild turkeys. And ultimately when we're working with our partners, our partners are tasked with um, managing at a statewide scale. Um, so that back 40 is very important because it tears up to that. But when we look at it, we're trying to look at it at a statewide scale. Um, so when you think about turkey movements and flocks and those type of things, I mean, you got to have a lot of acreage to impact one flock, let alone, you know, all these different flocks that are interacting uh, across the landscape. So, um, you know, we're really thinking about population level. How can we take the great work that our private landowners are doing and our state agency partners are doing at the WMA level? And really tear that up to have an effect on something that's a little bit bigger. Yeah, let's. I want to. I want to define two two parts. Um, I guess one, and they're they're connected, and, and then I, I want to break really like dive into the meat and potatoes of this of this initiative. Um, Doug, if if you would af- define what essential nesting and brood habitat is for someone that is not a wildlife biologist. And I'm talking about me. Okay. I'm an idiot. Doug, explain that to me no, no. Uh, in, in simple terms. What is that? Why is it so crucial? Derek, you can answer that part. Why is it so crucial to population? 
Well, um, Derek, do you want to jump on that? The, the crucial to the population part? <laughs> sure. I'll be glad to touch on that. Um, well, why it is crucial to the population is it is the population, you know, without recruitment, there is no population, you know, you're poll, essentially poll recruitment. Is poll what you're talking recruitment. About. Yes. We're talking about poll recruitment um, and getting them to the, you know, two weeks of life where they can fly um, and then getting them into that adult age class. So you look at, well, just think about the harvest this year in the Southeast. When you look at the harvest across multiple States, it was up this year. You go back two years and you see that the poll per hen, which is essentially how many polts did each hen have was high. So that correlated to a, a better population and a bigger population. So when you think about recruitment and the importance of this habitat on the ground is because it's the lifeblood of sustaining the population and growing the population. Yeah. And, and Doug, what yeah, is, and the, I'll, what, I'll, I'll add, oh, no, and I just, just going to say, just going to add to that a little bit. When you, when you think about, um, yeah, two different components, right? The nesting part of it and then the brood part of it, you know, that getting those poults to that, to that two week stage, like Derek mentioned, it's just a, it's such a critical window, right? The, the nesting period, once the hen gets through that, that critical stage of egg laying and then 28 days plus or minus of incubation, you know, the poults hash, there's that two week window where they have got to have a buffet of insects uh, to, to, to grow and develop enough where they can fly at least up and do you know, some relatively tall shrubs and and not have to spend those nights on the ground any longer with the hen. And, and, and it just decreases their vulnerability level once they can get off the ground at night. Um, and, and I can talk a little bit more about that vulnerability. Um, but you had a question too, Paul, that you were going to interject. Um, so just uh, when, when, when we talk about like nesting habitat, what, what is ideal nesting habitat for, for a wild turkey hen in this landscape that we're, that this initiative covers? Yeah. So I'll, I'll defer to Derek. I mean, you, you see, you see a lot more of the Southeastern nesting structure, nesting cover that's ideal than I do. I've had you know, some time in Mississippi and in here and there, but I, you know, Derek's right there in the thick of it. And um, I'll let him talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, Paul, I guess I'll caveat my answer with saying, if we knew exactly what it was, we'd have a lot more turkeys on the ground. So, you know, as we think about where does a hen like to nest, there's some research that you look at and you're like, what the heck was that thing doing there? And then she raises her poults and it's successful. And like, how, what, what happened there? So, you know, I think that's an important thing to note is that, you know, we're still conducting research to find out, what exactly this looks like and how we can get a better grasp on um, the specifics of those type of things that we, so that we can make it better. But in general, what we're talking about is early successional habitat. We're talking about um, getting sunlight to the forest floor. So, you know, think uh, if you look straight up in the air, if you can't see the sun, that's probably not going to create good nesting habitat because the structure that we're looking for and I will emphasize structure um, because I will go ahead and tell you, if you're asking somebody to identify plants, I'm not your guy. Um, and the turkeys don't really care either. In many cases, they're looking at for what does the structure look like? So 
you know, you're looking at grasses, forbs, some woodies mixed in there um, that are two to three feet in height. Uh, I think savanna-like, um, native grass fields, those type of things. Um, and that's what they're using to nest in. Think edge habitat that gets uh, sunlight on the edge of a stand. If you've ever been in a hardwood stand or a pine stand along a roadside or something like that, you can see that it's a little bit thicker right there along the road. And then you, as you go into the stand, into a closed canopy, it gets it opens up because there's none of that understory on the ground. So when we're thinking about it in generalities, um, you're thinking about low cover two to three feet from the ground. Um, in some cases, overhead cover can be an important factor as well when you think about avian predators and those type of things. So um, those are all important aspects of the, the nesting cover. But then you think about brooding cover, and you're talking about a pole that's, you know, small, we're thinking real small here, and they have to move, be able to move along the ground. So when you think about bunch grasses, which are some of your blue stems and other things like that, they essentially grow in a bunch so that there's bare ground around them so poults can maneuver through them. So if you want to get a true idea what brooding cover habitat looks like, spray yourself with DEET and lay on the ground and um, kind of get that, that poults eye view there because they need to be able to move through some of those things. Um, so that's kind of what the cover would look like. And then Doug mentioned it earlier. Uh, and then I'll, I'll go back to you, Paul or Doug, is that um, where those things are on the landscape. So if you talk about a nest being hatched, well, if she now has to go two miles to take her brood to adequate nest or brooding habitat so that they can find all those insects that are so important, that's, that's not a good sign. Um, that makes her more vulnerable to predators. So if we can put that brooding cover close to the nesting cover, it increases survivability because they don't have to travel as far. So we want those, or we want those close. We don't, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point that, you know, right. you might not think about if you're, if you're not, you know, in, in tune to that. Um, yeah. So what, what, what is some of the research that I, that, that has identified the weaknesses within that nesting and brood? habitat within uh this initiative area well I'll, I'll just touch on that a little bit paul and and you know again derek feel free to add but i i think about what derek said spot on you know about what the research can tell us um we know about um the habitat needs between nesting and root habitat but then also the timing right the timing comparisonality and when greenup happens so you can take a walk around any property now, whether it's Northeast, Midwest, Southeast, and you can see all kinds of structure, right? Because, you know, green up has happened. The vegetation is there, right? But, but when you think about when these hens start laying their first eggs in the early, in, in spring, um, it's not quite, you know, as far along typically, you know, you're, you're talking about what I always, I always refer to it as pre green up structure, right? Those adult hens, that are those early adopters to nesting, um, to, to egg laying. And then even when you're into the average adult hen start time, there's not a lot of green cover um, 
unless you get down into those low-lying, you know, wet areas where you might have some milkweeds or, and, and, I, and I'm talking about some more northeast centric plant species, but you get the point. And um, pre-green up cover is hard to come by. And that's why, you know, like Derek mentioned, you know, if sunlight gets the forest floor, then you're going to have some of that structure, the stems without the leafy vegetation just yet. Um, that structure can be there um, pre-green in a lot of cases. So we got to think about that timing. The time to evaluate your property for what kind of nesting structure you might have is not late July or August. It's really, you know, March in very early April and, and maybe even before that, um, just to see what kind of structure you have. You know, is a hen going to be able to drop anchor, lay a couple of late eggs, uh, hunker down and not have to depend on that green up to be necessarily. So that's just something to consider when, when thinking about what you might have, this is not the time of year to really evaluate what you have, um, from a sink cover standpoint. Um, definitely good time to look at what you have from a brood habitat standpoint. And like Derek did, a, Derek had a great example of how you, how you might, but, um, you know, laying Definitely the, the deep, um, great recommendation. Um, but then I used to also say, if you can, if you can roll a, a tennis ball or, or maybe even a ball um, a little bit through a through a stand, um, and I always, you know, would would recommend, you know, hey, you know, get those bunch grasses, you know, clovers, some sort of legume that's gonna, you know, have those insects, um, you know, in you know in in bulk, right? You know, have that buffet. Um, you know, plants aren't created equal as far as what harbors insects and what poults can walk through. Um, so, you know, thinking about from those viewpoints, I think can help landowners and managers, you know, think about what they, what they have and what they, what they can use. So, you know, if you're out there in midsummer, you know, planting your, planting your fields, um, those birds may not utilize it because, you know, if it wasn't there after hat, um, they may not know it's so they may not know you know to use it so if you have those early plantings those things that are, you know those pearls that are there year after year after year and you know um you know they'll, they'll you, you'll you'll start to see those hens with poults use those areas more regularly derek let's let's talk about the the actual initiative itself how does habitat for the hatch address the issues that have been identified and and you know, past that, how, how does Habitat for the Hatch uh, assist in, in identifying and, and just learning you know, more about the needs of wild turkeys and, and, and their habitats? Sure. Well, I, I think, first of all, um, Habitat for the Hatch will hopefully put the spotlight back on the wild turkey. Um, you know, you think about the conversations of habitat management and and where the priority shifts to and some of the talks you, you know it's a lot of um endangered and threatened species and those type of things which understandably so you know and for a long time in the past several years we think about habitat management we're thinking about managing for those species that also benefit the wild turkey habitat for the hatch is an opportunity to say hey we can manage for the wild turkey and benefit all of these other species along the way um, on the back of the turkey. And Habitat for the Hatch um, really tries to show the importance of that timing of the hatch. You know, let's get them to the hatch. Let's not concentrate right now on fall habitat. 
We know that's not necessarily a, a huge concern. What we're really wanting to concentrate on, on is that window of let's get these eggs on the ground and let's get these poults of an age that they're going to survive. So um, when we think about how we look at this initiative and how it's going to assist with that on the ground, I, I think there's a couple ways. One is the research component that we've already touched on. Within the habitat for the hatch, we want to, to take a, a harder look at the management practices that we are conducting on the ground and how they equate to better recruitment. Um, because right now we know we know that in general, prescribed fire is a very good uh, activity for wild turkeys. We know that in certain situations, mulching um, can be really good. Disking can be really good. Um, I could go on for a lot of different practices here, but we think about those practices that are generally accepted as, hey, if you do these, this is creating good habitat for the wild turkey. Well, as we think about research, we really want to evaluate that to say, hey, yes, the, we can now confirm with data because we don't have a lot of that for the wild turkey at this point, that these practices at this scale can be increased nest success um, or survivability and those type of things. So from a research perspective, we're, we want to concentrate less on um, you know, se season timing and those type of things and more on habitat practices that benefit the wild turkey. And in turn, what that allows us to do is to educate landowners um, of ways that they can improve their land. Um, and, you know, when we talked about landscape, we said, well, maybe the back 40 is not where we're talking about. But with these practices um, being evaluated through research, we can now put together documentation that says, hey, these are practices that are good for the wild turkey. And if we start to get several landowners to implement those, um, we can really start to have an impact at that larger population scale. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I, I had a doctor tell me years ago, you can collect all of the data in the world. You can do all the research. It's what you do with that data, the decisions that you make with off of that data. That's important. All you doesn't matter. <laughs> having it in a book yeah. on a shelf. If you don't put it into practical terms, that's what matters. And I, and I, I don't, I, and Doug, you you might remember this. Um, was it was it Bill Clinton or the first George Bush? They're talking in a, in a presidential debate. It's the economy, stupid. It's the habitat, stupid. That's what I always like think of when when I hear I, like just the conversations. It's the habitat, stupid. Like that's it. That's that's the number one answer, right? I mean, let, let's 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 do the things necessary to create the habitat that the wild turkey needs. You know, do the work that benefits. Eric, you said that benefits the wild turkey. The habitat practices that benefits the wild turkey. That's what that's what's most important. I think that's the heart and soul of this initiative, right, Doug? That's right. It is 100 percent and couldn't agree more. And and you know, basically what you know what I take from Derek saying is is that we're we're just we're going into we're going we're gonna we're gonna go into this initiative with an open mind about our habitat work too, right? If the research informs us that hey, maybe that scale you guys have been working at, you know, from a prescribed fire practice standpoint isn't right. You know, instead of doing you know burns of, of x number of acre size and of this shape uh this proximity to what we would consider you know other critical habitat for wild turkeys let's let's 
think of it in this way because this is what the data is showing us would work better. So, you know, it's just an open mind to adjust. And we've always had that, you know, adaptive management approach. But now we're just, we want to put a premium on making sure we're getting, you know, some additional information to help steer our effort even better. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. That's good stuff. Adaptive management approach. I mean, that's the be nimble, right? Be willing to change. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's really good to hear. Um, We we've talked a lot about uh, agency partnerships and, and and we're going to talk more about that. The the one thing that, that always kind of frustrates me is, is, is a, an Ohioan and 96% of the land in this state is, is privately owned. And that's great. I, I hunt primarily public. When I look at it, I can't do any habitat work. I can't do any, I can't, you know, put, put these, you know, adaptive management practices into, I'm just the mercy of whatever the agency does. So, and I will say our, our agency in Ohio is, they're amazing. They, they really are. I'm really proud of, of the work that our agency does. I'm proud of a lot of our state agencies. Um, but private landowners like talk about the role that private landowners have just with like habitat management. And there are a lot of people that are really good at that, but you know, how, how can we bring more people in? How can we talk about this more and talk about the importance of, of private landowners and, and what's, what's a private landowners like relationship with habitat for the hatch? How, how are they involved in this? Yeah. Great. On your right. I mean, there's there's a lot of state agencies out there that yeah you know, are doing tremendous work. Um, most, if not, I, I'll say all all the state agencies. They may not all do it the same, you know, as far as how they're how they're managing the habitat on the ground on their on the lands that they manage. But man, they're doing a tremendous job of um, whether it's managing the forest resources or the openings on the you know on the on the parcels that they manage. Um, there's there's some great hunting and um, hunting and, and fishing opportunities for that matter on, on the public lands that those state agencies manage. And, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm like you, I'd spend a lot of time on public land and, um, you know, it, it's, 
it's it's awesome to be able to you know take advantage of those um, resources and, and some public land trips in mind for Ohio too, Paul. So we'll be on the lookout. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, to to your point though about the private land side of things, uh, yeah. The, so you think about the landscape of the east, right? There's that word again. Um, what is it? 70, 80 percent of the of the land in the eastern portion of the U.S. is in private land ownership. So if we're going to move the needle. Um, not just for wild turkeys, but a lot of species out there, whether we hunt them or, or they're non-game species, we, we have to have private landowner buy-in, right? And, you know, I view our role in a, in a, in a big way as uh, being able to provide these landowners who, it, it, you know, they're, they're just, they want to be sponges for the information. They're, they look to us to help them um, with how, how they can manage their land better for X, Y, or Z, whatever their, whatever their priorities are. Um, and it's to, us to have the reason, you know, that information available to them, right? So um, we do have a number of uh, staff across, not just the habitat for the hatch region, um, but across the country um, in different areas, right? Not, not, not blanket coverage, um, but we have our own NWTF staff, wildlife biologists and or foresters that will work with private landowners to help, you know, get them, guidance, um, whether it's writing a management plan or just general guidance, but then also trying to connect them with whether it's um, a U.S. Department of Ag Natural Resource Conservation Service program um, and help them through the application process for funding to help deliver some of that, to help do some of that work on the ground that was recommended to them or some other partners that that might have programs that can help them, you know, do habitat work as well. So um, while we don't have that blanket coverage where we don't have the coverage there are other you know there are other power staff on the ground that can and we can we can move those landowners um in, into their hands to you know, help guide them so there's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there for landowners but yeah if we're gonna if we're gonna move the needle ball we, we're, we're gonna have to um rely on private landowners to have a big impact and um, the fact that we have a number of staff on the ground doing that and the fact that a number of our non-government organization partners a lot of staff on the ground as well um is a testament to that yeah derek if i'm a landowner in one of the 18 initiative states in the initiative zone what 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 resources does the nwtf through this have through this initiative have available to me as a landowner so i would say uh if you're if you're a landowner you know you could certainly reach out to to us, um, you know, as your as your first point of contact, and and we will help steer you in the right direction. As Doug mentioned, we have several staff that can come out to your property, but that's not everywhere. Um, but thankfully, the you know the big word partnerships is that most state agencies have private lands biologists. Um, a lot of the and conservation partners have biologists as well um, that can come out there. So. You know, what we would do through this initiative and, and through our staff on the ground is is to steer you in the right direction. And sometimes that may be giving you an email link or a website to say, hey, take a little bit of time to review some habitat practices that you can implement or let's have a conversation. You know, tell me about what's going on uh, that I could better understand who may be the right person for you, because, you know, an example that's already come up in Habitat for the Hatch. Um, a landowner is in Kentucky, not in Ohio. Um, close enough, Paul. But, oh, you uh, watch it. Yeah, they were uh, 
they were looking for assistance, you know, and they happened to fall within an area of, of one of our foresters and our forester was able to talk with them on the phone. And what we realized is, you know, they were already involved with natural resource conservation service and already involved in getting some of those practices on the ground. So what we were able to do is to steer them to other resources and other educational opportunities that are out there, like state agency programs through the state forestry agency and those type of things. So working with them to meet them where they are. And, you know, I will say that in most cases, that is not going to be an NWTF biologist on your property. Um, But Habitat for the Hatch engages those partnerships so that we can give you the resources um, to go and get you the information that you need. And as we move forward with this, you might see more resources coming. You know, we're, we've already had some discussions about, hey, we've really seen a, an uptick in private landowners coming out there. What can we do from an NWTF perspective to better help them in addition to steering them to the right person? Is there some type of documentation that we can put in their hands that allows them to go to an NRCS office or a state agency office to say, hey, I'm interested in habitat for the hatch. Um, And these are, you know, this is kind of what I want to do. So what we have now is not what we're going to have. Um, So I, you know, that's a little bit of a tease for stay tuned for what's coming here. But, but we have heard you as private landowners and we want to make sure that we're continuing to give you the resources to succeed. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. I think there's, there's, there's a, obviously people, you know, people that care about the wild turkey, turkey hunters, uh, NWTF members, non-NWTF members, obviously, like, we're all laser focused on the challenges that we're facing, you know, in this country. And, and I think this is, I love hearing that we're going to adapt and we're going to change if we need to. We're going to look at the data, we're look at the science, we're going to listen to people and change what we're doing. I think that's that's a that's a huge step, I think, just for just this organization for the science, for the turkey hunters, for the, and, and, and most importantly for the wild turkey. And that's, and that's what, that's what we're all, we're all here for. Derek, I want to ask you this. This is, this is kind of more of a, a philosophical question. Uh, if I am a resident of Wisconsin, from resident of New Hampshire, from a resident of Arizona, California, Wyoming, Northern Ohio, why should I care about Habitat for the Hatch? And, and, and why should I support this initiative? Yeah, I'm your philosophical guy, Paul. You know me, big thinker. Um, well, I, I would say, you know, when you think about Habitat for the Hatch and, you know, why you should support from other regions of the states, I, I'll take a step back and say that, you know, Habitat for the Hatch is one of the many initiatives that NWTF is a part of. Um, you know, we've got Waterways for Wildlife, Rocky Mountain Restoration Initiative, Big Sky Initiative. Um, and those are just the ones off the top of my head led by NWTF, but there's also other partner-led initiatives that are out there. So, um, you know, when you think about Habitat for the Hatch, we talk about landscape, you know, this fits into an overall goal and supports the mission of the NWTF for delivering for the wild turkey. Um, so it's it's one piece of the pie here. And why is it so important? I I would say that, first of all, I would bet that most of those people that you're talking about in those other states are traveling to hunt 
one of the states within the the habitat for the hat region. You know, we see a, a large uptick of individuals that want to kill their 50 birds. And we happen to have Florida within this initiative. You want your slam, you're coming to habitat for the hatch area, um, thinking about the Osceola in Florida. But the other thing that I would say to that is if I'm trying to put my philosophical hat on here is that um, it's a little bit bigger than us. When you think about wildlife management and wildlife conservation in general, um, and I'll take maybe a Western species or thinking about wolves or mountain lions and, and those type of things that are happening in other states or bears in the Northeast, you know, those can be hot button topics, but it, it matters from the larger picture of conservation. When you think about the impact that hunters and conservationists have on wildlife in this country, it is huge. Um, and just because it's not in your state now, or you think, well, that's not, not my area. Well, it might be from a, a legislative issue or anything else that's coming down the, down the pike there. Um, so I think that looking at this at a, a larger level of conservation can really help us to understand that the, if turkeys go away or on the decline in the Southeast, you know, that's going to take away re federal resources from your state because they're going to be maybe moved to go to this declines. So um, I, I would encourage folks to think about this at, at the larger level and don't think that, that you don't matter. You know, Paul, you sold yourself short there, not a landowner in Ohio. What can I do? You can go to a state agency meeting. You can go to a public meeting. You can go to a NWTF banquet. Um, and support so that your dollars are going to manage private lands and, and public lands around because that wildlife management area you hunt is surrounded by private land. And if those folks are managing their, their game properly, there's a very good chance that game's coming over to the public land as well. So, Oh, I get right up on the fence lines, Derek. You know me. Yeah. <laughs> that Everybody hunts the fence line. doesn't matter how big the property That's is. That's right. That's right like on the edge. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, you know, that's, I, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very optimistic about, about this, this habitat for the hatch project. I'm, I'm optimistic about all of the research. I love the, the laser focus of this organization. I love the laser focus of our membership, of our volunteers, uh, of our agency partners. I mean, I think collectively is, is, is hunters and conservationists. We've answered the call several times for the wild Turkey and here we are doing it again. I'm proud to be a part of this organization. I know that you two are, uh, is, is well. So I want to thank you both for your time today. I want to thank you both for the work that you do for this organization on behalf of our membership, on behalf of our state agency partners, uh, and, and on behalf of the wild Turkey. So thank you both for, for your time today and, and all that you do. Yeah, thank you, Paul. And I, I just, you know, I, I can't, I can't thank you enough for for stepping up and asking a part of this and our communications team for all that they're doing and above and beyond. You know, having having our ability to you know put this together, you know, for everything that they've done for us as, as the initiative was was you know getting wrapped up and ready for rollout. So, you know, thank you and and the whole team. Yeah, it's 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 a process. It's going to be a process. Be patient. Always, always, always be, always be on the lookout. There's always something. Check out those NWTF social right. media platforms and, uh, and be involved. Go to a banquet, become a member, do the things, uh, you know, that, that, that help support the work that uh, initiatives like this do. So, gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you.
Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you.